Before we do our meet and greet today, before we get to that point in the service, we're going to be doing a baby dedication. And so this is always such a sweet time for us as the body of Christ. We have actually several more on the way. And so the, the church is definitely growing by way of babies. And uh, that's always such a blessing, is it not? And so before we bring up Austin and Yen and Peter, I just want to share a few thoughts and uh, what this means. And if you're noticing my little flowers here, my, my daughter brought that to me just a few minutes ago, so I'm, I'm rocking it. So baby dedication. Well, we always like to go back to 1 Samuel as kind of our template for what this, what this is why we are doing what we're doing when we pray over the family and pray over the baby and bless the child in the name of the Lord. And if you're familiar with 1 Samuel chapter 1, you know the story is of a, a young woman named Hannah. And she is married, but she can't have children. And this really grieves her deeply. And so she goes to the temple and she pours her heart out to the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, it says that she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And so this was a, a vow that she made before God, said that if he would bless her with this child, she would give him back to the Lord all his days. And God honored that. God honored her request. She had a child. He was a, a mighty man of God. Samuel, this mighty prophet and priest. Well, after the child was born and weaned, she made good on her promise and she took the child to the temple. And this is what she said. She said, for this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And so this is a beautiful picture of what it is. We recognize that any good thing that we have comes from God, and it's ultimately his. It's back to him, and it's for his glory. Amen? And we know that children are a blessing from God. God grants that to us. We seek to raise our children in the training and admonition of the Lord. And we essentially give our children back to the Lord. Father, they're yours. Please bless them, love them, strengthen them, teach them, reach them with your saving love. And it's our goal, it's the parents' goal to do everything that they can to model Christ likeness, to model humility to have devotionals, to put the child in a place where they're going to receive the care and the nurture and the Word of God and grow up, God willing, to be a mighty little man or a mighty little woman of God. Amen? And so it's not so much for the child as it is for the parents. It's the parents that are vowing before the Lord that they're going to raise their child in a godly way. And we do this as a body of believers as the body of Christ because we are a covenant community. We are a family. Amen? And so they are saying, Austin and Yen are saying that they're going to raise their child here amongst this community and uh, we're going to 
bless them, love them, pray for them, serve them, help them in any way that we can. We're a family, amen? And so that's what this is all about. It's special. It's always such a blessing to be able to do this. And so we want to bring them up now, and we're going to pray over this family. Look at this mighty little warrior. What a warrior for God he is going to be. So this is Peter. Most of you, I think, know Austin and our sister Yen Booble. And so, uh, such a delight. We love you guys. Y'all have been nothing short of an encouragement to us since you've been here. And God has just knit us together. And it's been so awesome to, to see this baby boy come into our midst. And we're so excited to watch him grow up and to see what God is going to do in your family and in his life. And we're committed to loving you guys and praying for you, and we want to do that right now. Amen? So would you join me, join us in prayer? Father, we just lift up this family to you. We pray your blessing upon them. Thank you, God, that they love you, that they have committed their lives to you, that they serve you, they obey you. Thank you that they have committed themselves to this this church, and they love this church, and they are loved by this church. Thank you for this child that you have given them, Peter. Uh, what a beautiful baby boy. And so we just pray your blessing over them. Help them, God, to walk in this commitment that they have made to raise him in your ways. It is so hard in this day and age that we live in this culture, and especially in the area that we live in. There is a fierce uphill battle that they will have to fight. But Lord, you're with them. You're with them. You're a protector. You're a provider. And Lord, we know that you will lead them in the good way. And so we pray, Lord, that from Peter's earliest days, he would come to know you and that he wouldn't grow up and have to know a life of rebelliousness, but that he would know a life of submission to you, Father, and love, and uh, to be in relationship with you and to know your loving care as a heavenly Father. And so we just pray over this family, Lord, bless them, pour out your spirit on them, use them for your glory, bless them in their parenting, help us as a body of Christ to bless them and to serve them and care for them any way that we can and to pray for them most of all. And so we thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Bless you guys. Thank you. Love you guys. Well, at this point, if you want to just take a moment, stand up, uh, greet a neighbor, say hello to somebody you don't know, and we'll come back and get into God's Word in just a moment.
Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 15. That's the cue to stop talking right there. My wife is uh, not with us today. She's at home sick, and so just wanted to say, hey, baby, she's watching, and I uh, love you, and uh, miss her always, so glad she's able to tune in from home at least, though it is just not the same, is it? But here we are in the house of the Lord, and so it's an honor to be with you all and to be able to open God's Word to you and to be able to sit under God's Word together as we receive from Him. So with that, allow me to pray, and we will dig in. Father, we love you. We praise your holy name. We thank you, God, that you're with us, that you're for us. Thank you, God, that we have your word, and in your word is life, for it testifies of Christ and the gospel and everything that we need to know to know you and to have life and to live lives that are pleasing and fruitful and productive and effective. Thank you, Father. Thank you. That's a grace and a mercy that we didn't deserve, but Lord, that's why it's grace and mercy, because you are gracious, merciful, and loving, and you have seen fit to bless us, Lord, to teach us. And so, Father, have your way in our midst today. Holy Spirit, please minister to us by your living word. Help us. We need your help. And thank you that we have all that we need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Also, last week, I can't even believe that I forgot to mention this, but most of you probably know by now that um, Pastor Dan and Michaela had their baby. They have a beautiful baby boy, and his name is Anakin Clark Bernard. And so uh, I got to see him this week, and uh, man, what a blessing. And so uh, praise him. I look forward to uh, doing that dedication as well. And so Bernards, we love you guys. Sorry that y'all aren't here with us, but we understand we're not mad at you. And uh, with that, let's, let's turn our attention to God's Word. Okay, so we're moving into chapter 15 of John now. We are in what is called the Upper Room Discourse. It's five chapters, verses, uh, chapters 13 through 17, and this takes place the night before Jesus is to be crucified. So we're in the last 24 hours of his life before he is to be arrested, tried in a, in a false trial, and then he's going to be uh, tortured, crucified, he's going to die, rise from the grave three days later. So here we are the night before all of that is going to happen, and he's spending this time with his disciples in a very intimate moment as he is just teaching them, as he is encouraging them, which is the crazy part, considering what he's about to enter into, he's spending these last moments encouraging and comforting his disciples, which is mind-boggling, but that's our Lord. Well, as we begin chapter 15 today, we're going to be seeing the classic passage, the vine and the branches. Jesus is the vine we are the branches. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, I'm sure you have heard that. We're going to be looking at that today. Now, as we worked our way through John chapter 14, comfort and hope really was the main consideration. We talked about that for several weeks, that we have hope and we have comfort. 
predominantly in the Holy Spirit whom Jesus would uh, send when uh, he departed and went back to the Father. He said he would not leave us orphans. He would not leave us alone. He'd send us a helper, a comforter. He would send us the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we've been talking about, and it's important that we keep that in our minds because that's going to be very relevant for where we are today. Jesus said that he would make his home in our hearts by means of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That when Jesus went back to the Father, the Spirit would come and would take up residence within us. And that is how we can say that we are in Christ. And Christ is in us because we have the Holy Spirit living in us through faith in Jesus Christ. It's important that you understand that. That is called union. It's, a, it's an important teaching and it's union with Christ. We are united to Him. We are one with Christ. The Bible says over and over that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Excuse me. <coughs> That's the bad thing about having this thing attached to your face. It doesn't matter if you cough, it's coming through the speakers. <coughs> I've been a little bit under the weather, so hopefully I won't have a coughing fit while I'm up here, but excuse me. <coughs> okay. Lord, help me. Hopefully it won't be too much of a distraction. All right. Christ is the source of life. Amen? Christ is the source of life. And if we are in Him, He's going to produce something in us. Something special. Something significant. <coughs> Christ calls it fruit. Jesus said that if we are in Him, He is going to produce fruit in us. That we will be fruitful. Now this is an, an analogy that we see throughout the Bible. <coughs> Sorry, guys. And uh, over and over, the Bible has so much to say about fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Jesus says that if we are in Him, we will bear fruit. Now, Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, it says, For when we were slaves of sin, we were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit did we have in the things of which we are now ashamed? What fruit was there in that life? When we were slaves to sin, we weren't concerned with the things of God. We weren't concerned with righteousness. <coughs> Sorry. It's a little embarrassing, but uh, I cannot help it. Let me pray for a second. Do you all mind? Okay. <coughs> Lord, sorry, but this is super distracting. Please help me, Lord, to be able to teach well and uh, not to be having coughing fits while I'm up here. This is far too important. Lord, this message is good, and the enemy would not want this to be preached to the people here today without distraction. So, Father, please help me. Help me to be able to preach and help us to be able to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> okay. So we were free in regards to righteousness, but what fruit was there? We had no fruit in our lives. But listen to this. In verse 22 it says, But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness and everlasting life. 
we have fruit. We have something that comes forth in our life because we are in Christ, because we are found in Him. And it's a beautiful thing. Second Peter chapter 1, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control steadfastness, and to steadfastness godliness, and to godliness brotherly affection, and to brotherly affection love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you, my man. <clears throat> so, we have everything that we need in Christ to have a productive and fruitful life. And Peter says here that if we are concerned with these things, if we are concerned with growing in these things, if these things are ours and we are increasing in them, we will neither be ineffective or unfruitful. Unfruitful. I don't know about you guys, but I desire to have a fruitful life. I desire to have a fruitful, God-glorifying, God-honoring life. I want to be a blessing to other people. I want to see that God, the work of God is really happening in my life and that I'm growing and that I'm producing fruit. I know that's the desire of any of us in here who know the Lord, and we can have that. We must have that. If we don't have that, that's a problem. And that's what we're going to see in part in our text today. So I've titled this Life in the Vine. Life in the Vine. Union with Christ equals fruit. Union with Christ equals fruit. So if you're taking notes, the first point the Father is concerned and committed to our fruitfulness. The Father is concerned and committed to our fruitfulness. Verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. <coughs> now, notice here in the text that Jesus says he is the true vine. Jesus says he is the true vine. This is the, the seventh of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Remember I told you that throughout this Gospel and only in the Gospel of John do we find these statements. They're called the I am statements. And so Jesus takes for himself this title, I am. And if you're familiar with Exodus chapter 2, you know that that goes back to the burning bush. When Moses is confronted by this voice coming from this burning bush, and it's Yahweh, it's the Father, it's God, and he says he is I am. That's how he, that's how he refers to himself. So when Jesus says I am, they know what he means by this. They know what he's saying about himself. But then he always attaches to it this statement of significance. And all of these statements have something to do with eternal life. And that's important. We're going to come back to that. But what are those statements? The first one was the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. 
He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. I am the true vine. So what does he mean by true vine? What's the significance of this? What does he mean when he says, I am the true vine? Well, throughout the Old Testament, God frequently used this language to talk about Israel. He frequently referred to Israel as the vine or the vineyard. But it was always in a bad sense. It was always negative. And I'll just give you an example of that in Isaiah 5, verse 1. It says, Let me sing for my beloved and my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? So God is saying, what more could he have possibly done? He spared no expense. He cut no corners. He did everything that he could possibly do to make Israel fruitful. It had everything that it needed. And yet, at the end of the day, it was not. And that was God's expectation for the nation of Israel to reflect his glory to the world. To be a nation set apart. To be unique. To be a peculiar people that walked in His commandments, loved Him and Him alone, and manifested His name and His glory and His works to the rest of the world, and they failed. They failed in that. Even though God had done so much for them, they failed and they went after other gods. And so they, they were a vine that did not produce. They were not fruitful for God. So Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am the true vine. They would have known. This would have been so significant to them. Jesus is our great champion. Amen? Jesus did what nobody else could do. Jesus did what Adam failed to do. Adam was given a command, a very simple one, in the garden, but he could not keep it. He failed. He ate the fruit that he was told he could not eat, he and his wife. Jesus did what Israel could not do. Israel could not walk in God's commandments perfectly. They could not honor Him and reflect His glory as they ought. Jesus did in every sense. Jesus did what the law itself could not do. The law can't save us. The law can only condemn us because we can't keep the law. We cannot. We're not law keepers. We're law breakers. Right? But Jesus kept the law perfectly. Jesus did what we could not do. He did what we ourselves could not do. Jesus did it. Jesus is the true vine. He is the one who came and truly, truly succeeded in bearing fruit for God. And in Christ, we can do the same. In Christ, we can be fruitful because of what Christ has done for us. Amen? And so Jesus is the true vine. Now, I want to draw your attention to this. <coughs> Jesus said that the Father is the vine dresser. You ever noticed that before? Right there in verse 1. 
we always make a beeline to Jesus as the vine and we're the branches, right? But have you ever stopped to consider this interesting little phrase here that the Father is the vine dresser? It's easy to overlook that. Now, what is a vine dresser? Well, it's simply a farmer, really. But I suppose, obviously, this is very significant to us because we're right here in the Napa Valley. And so you might think of a vineyard manager, somebody who is in charge of making sure that everything is as it needs to be in the vineyard. They're overseeing the, the, the well-being of the vines. They're doing the pruning. They're making sure, and this is foreign to me. I don't know a lot about this, but you, get, you catch my drift. You get what we're, what we're saying here. There's this other very significant character in this story that we often overlook, and it is the father and it is his care for the vine so that the vine will produce. And that is amazing to me. The father is intimately involved in the cultivation of the vine. The father is intimately involved. He is concerned with our fruitfulness. He's committed to it. He's committed to it. And that, to me, is great news because in a lot of ways... When people preach this text, they make a beeline to, you have to abide in the vine. You have to abide in the vine in order to be fruitful, right? Isn't that what we normally hear? And sometimes we might feel like we're doing a pretty good job with that. A lot of the time, I think we realize we're not doing a very good job with that. But you know what? We fail to take comfort in the fact that the Father is in control of all of this. The Father is tending the vine. The Father is working sovereignly in us, in all of this, to see to it that we will be fruitful. Amen? It is a done deal because the Father is in control of it. He is in control. And what, what are we told that He does here? He does pruning and removing. Pruning and removing. The Father removes the branches that don't bear fruit, that doesn't bear fruit, and He prunes the branches that do bear fruit. Jesus says that every fruitful branch will be pruned. Why? So that it will produce more fruit. You know what fruit is? It's the product of a tree or a plant. That's a major revelation for you this morning, isn't it? It's simple. The analogy is so simple. And I just felt like it, I need to start there. That's why it's called produce. It's the product of a plant or a tree. Fruit is. Fruit is something that grows in due time. Fruitfulness is something that comes in its season. It's not something that can be rushed. And so I want us maybe... Maybe you're discouraged this morning. Maybe you feel like you're not as fruitful as you wish you were or as you thought you would be by now. But I would encourage you, fruit comes in its season. It comes naturally. It's produced. It's not something that you can fabricate or manipulate unless it's pure hypocrisy, right? We can do that, but that's not what we want, right? That's not true fruit. And so it's something that takes time for God to work out. And so the reality is if you're in Christ, you are where God would have you be right now. I've had to tell myself that on many occasions. It doesn't help me a lot, 
uh, as it should, but I get frustrated because I know where I struggle and I want to be better than that. I want to do better than that. And sometimes I just find that no matter how hard I try, I cannot progress past this point. And I have to just fall back on the fact that God has me where he wants me right now. Otherwise, I would be further ahead than I am. And so I have to trust God's timing. I have to trust God in the process of all of this. And so do you. Fruit grows when the necessary elements are present, right? Good soil, sunlight, rain, so on and so forth. The best fruit is carefully cultivated, fertilized, pest-controlled, pruned, so on and so forth. And the Bible tells us that we can do those things, if you will. Psalm chapter 1, we know it well, talks about the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but he meditates on God's Word day and night. And what is that man like? We're told in verse 3, he's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It brings forth fruit. When? In its season. Whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So we can put ourselves in a position to be fruitful. We can put ourselves in a position to dry up, as it were, as we feed the flesh and we detach ourselves from the things that are necessary for spiritual nourishment, there's no way that's going to be good for us, right? And so part of abiding in the vine really is being, I would say, one real application is being in church, being around saints, being in the midst of the body of Christ, finding your place in the body of Christ, finding the place where, you serve, where you're meant to serve, uh, regularly receiving from the teaching of the Word of God, praising God in worship, being accountable to brothers and sisters. That is one very real way in which we abide in the vine and we put ourselves in a position to be more fruitful, to grow. Amen? So are we doing that? Because I'm telling you right now, we've got some stealth ninjas in this place. Y'all don't see it. I see it because I'm up here and I, I see the stealthness of these ninjas who can roll in undetected and get out before anybody even turns around and sees that they were here. And so I'm not looking at anybody right now, but you know who you are. And hey, it is what it is. I'm glad you're here, period. But I want you to experience the fullness of what God has for you in the body of Christ. I want you to be as fruitful as you can be, and I want you to be in a place where you can help add to that. You know what fruit is? It's the product of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's why it is oftentimes called the fruit of the Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians 5.22 tells us <clears throat> the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are fruits of the Spirit. Now, What's fascinating about this is it says it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not plural. It's not fruits of the Spirit. Somehow these are all interconnected. This is kind of like one deal. Sometimes we look at this list and think, well, I'm doing okay in this area, not so good in this area. I need to grow a little more in this area. That actually doesn't work that way. This is like one diamond that you can just tilt on different sides and see different facets or angles of the cut. 
but it all grows together. It is all interconnected. These are the kinds of things that exist in the believer's life if you have the Spirit of God in you. If you have the Spirit of God and you are producing fruit, you are full of love, a love that is full of joy. You have a joy that is full of peace. You have joy, peace, love, which causes you to be long-suffering and kind and full of goodness and faithfulness. You understand? All of these are interconnected. They overlap. They're intertwined. And this belongs to the believer who is in Christ and abiding in the vine. Jerry Bridges says this, any other trait commended in the Scriptures as befitting a believer is a fruit of the Spirit. For instance, holiness, compassion, forbearance, contentment, thankfulness, considerateness, sincerity, and perseverance. Who could argue that these are not fruits of the Spirit? They are. And so all of these things are fruits that the Spirit produces in our lives through the knowledge of Jesus and abiding in Him. Let me, let me broaden this even more. Fruit is any good thing that comes into your life as a result of knowing God. Fruit is any good thing that comes into your life as a result of knowing God. First off, eternal life is fruit. It is the fruit of knowing Jesus Christ and having His Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart in the new birth. Eternal life is a fruit. And I would argue that that's really what this text is about more than anything, is the fruit of eternal life, the life that comes to us by being connected to Jesus, who is the vine. Amen? It is about eternal life. That is the fruit. But there's more. Character qualities. That's a fruit. And we just talked about a lot of those. Through knowing Jesus and being under His Word, He has changed me radically in so many of these areas. And so I can see, looking back, the fruit in my life of having known Jesus and being changed by His Holy Spirit. That is a fruit. Giftings. Whatever giftings you have have been given to you through the Holy Spirit to bless the body of Christ, that's a fruit. That is a fruit of knowing Jesus and being filled with His Holy Spirit. Relationships. This is probably one of the biggest ones in my life. I think about having moved here from Tennessee. You know, that was a big step of faith for me and my wife. We had a lot of good things going for us in Tennessee, and we had some opportunities for us here, but I really didn't know what I was stepping into, and it looked like doors were closing faster than they were opening as we came, but we were convinced that God would have us come, and we did. And I had plenty of people in Tennessee tell me I was crazy at the time for doing that, but we did. And now as I look around at all the relationships that I have with you guys individually, and when we come together in smaller settings, birthdays and life groups and picnics and on and on it goes, I look around, I'm just sitting here oftentimes just blown away, thanking God, saying, look at what God has done. Look at all of these people I would not have known the people that I now have relationships that I, that I love deeply and they love me. This is fruit. This is the fruit of having moved out here and obeying Jesus' call to come here and to serve. And that blesses me like you can't even believe. It does. And that is fruit. 
opportunities that God may open to you because you're in Christ and God loves you and He's for you and He leads and guides and opens doors, that's fruit. That is fruit. How many good things has God brought into your life? How many awesome doors has the Father opened to your life since you have known Him? Hey, that's fruit. That is the fruit of being in right relationship with Him and walking in His goodness and in, uh, in the opportunities that He opens. And on and on and on we could go, but that is fruit. That is the fruit of knowing and walking with God. Now, Jesus says that every fruitless branch will be taken away. Every fruitless branch will be taken away. Now, this is a, this is a difficult verse. And I will tell you right now, it's, it's really the center of a lot of debate, if you will, amongst scholars and Christians. What does this mean? What does this mean that every fruitless branch will be taken away? Well, what you will often hear is some people will say that the word taken away here means to lift up, literally, in the Greek. It means to lift up. And they'll say things like, so you got the, you got the vine, you got the shoots, the branches that say the clusters of grapes grow on, and maybe they're drooping down and they're beginning to not look so good, and so the, the vine dresser will prop them up and evenly disperse them. I've even heard of stuff like this for like sugar content in the grapes. Again, I'm getting into territory that is foreign to me. And so um, if I sound like a dummy, I'm used to that, so whatever. But um, So that the, the sugar will disperse as it should through the grapes. And so they said that's what it's talking about here. And the, the father takes the feeble and lifts them up so that they can be uh, healed and be more fruitful. And hey, that sounds good to me. I like that. But the issue is, is that none of the translations translate it that way. And there's a reason for that. You know, it's, it's cool to take that verse and say, hey, it doesn't mean that, it means this. But when absolutely all of the translators have translated it another way, there's a reason for that. So I want to be careful about trying to take the sting out of this or minimize it. Now, others say what this means is that Christians, fruitless Christians, can be cut off and be damned, essentially. And I will say with my whole heart, that is not what this means. Uh, I do not believe that a Christian will be fruitless and then be cut off from Christ and then be damned in their sin. There's no way. It doesn't work that way. And if you look at the Gospel of John in its entirety, you see that. Jesus has already dealt with this time and time again. We are absolutely secure in Him. Amen? We are secure in His hands. We are safe in the Father's arms. There's nothing that can snatch us away from Him. And I've said this time and time again. The question is not, can a Christian lose their salvation? The question is, can Jesus lose a Christian? Can Jesus lose one that the Father has given him? The answer is an obvious, no, he cannot. He will not. He said to the Father, all that you have given me, I will not lose one. I will raise them up on the last day. Is it possible for Jesus to fail to do the will of the Father? 
Absolutely not. Not possible. It was the will of the Father that all that He gives to the Son be raised up on the last day. And Jesus will. He will not lose even one. Amen? So that's not what is going on here. But I think really the key to understanding this verse is, uh, again, in verse 2 and in 3. The the latter part of verse 2. It says, Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now look at this. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's an interesting little phrase. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So, you don't see this in the English language, but in the Greek, which this was originally written in, there's actually a play on words going on here. Prune and clean are almost identical in the Greek. Not exactly, but very closely related. And I think really the idea here is that a a branch that is completely pruned, you could say of it, it's clean. It's been cleaned off. Everything has been removed that needs to go, and it's been cleared, clean, right? And so Jesus says, that which is fruitful is pruned so that it will be more fruitful, and you are fully pruned. It's kind of like what he's saying. You are clean. Now, this is language that has already been used before. I don't know if this is maybe sticking out in your mind even now, but back in John chapter 13, remember when he was washing the disciples' feet and he came to Peter, and Peter's response was, no way, you're not going to wash my feet. And then Jesus says, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part with me. And he says, okay, well, in that case, wash my hands and my head as well. And then Jesus says, look, He who is clean doesn't need to be bathed, only his feet, because you are already clean. You're already clean. And then he says this, but not all of you. I'm not talking about all of you, because he knew who was going to betray him. Therefore, he said, not all of you are clean. So there's that same language. Now he's using it in the context of the 11 disciples and the one. The 11 and the one. Who's the one? Judas, exactly. So remember what's happening right now as Jesus is speaking to them. Judas has already left and he is on his way to go betray Jesus. Judas is a pretender. Okay, He is not legitimately in the vine. He was not bearing fruit. The disciples were in the vine. They were bearing fruit. Judas was not. He was a hypocrite. He was pretending to be something other than what he was. He was the treasurer of the group, remember he had the money box, but he was actually stealing out of it. Remember he rebuked uh, Mary for breaking that alabaster flask of oil and pouring it on Jesus' feet, and he was like, you know what, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. But he was actually, what was he wanting to do with it? He wanted to steal it, steal the money for himself. See, he was a, he was a, a hypocrite, and I think that's exactly what we have going on here. This is what Jesus is talking about. You have those who are really in the vine, those who are really connected to Jesus as the source of life, those who are truly producing fruit, and if you are, you will, period. Then you have those who are pretending. They're pretending to be in the vine. They look like they're in the vine. On the outside, everything's looking kind of good. They're saying all the right things, but they're not actually in the vine. 
And Jesus says the Father is going to take them away. He's going to remove them. He's going to make it manifest at some point that they were never actually part of the vine. They will be removed. This is meant to be a warning. This is not meant to scare Christians. Okay? You better be fruitful or else. If you don't produce enough fruit, God's going to cut you off and throw you into the fire. Right? And so we just need to recognize that's not what's going on here. Who, I mean, who determines what is enough fruit? You know, who, that's, these are kind of arbitrary things that we put on ourselves, you know. And so it's not that way. The point of the text is, if you are in the vine, you have eternal life. If you have eternal life, you will be fruitful in Christ. You will be as fruitful as God will have you be, in, in its due season, but God is absolutely in control of all of that. Now, if you're pretending to be in the vine, if you haven't really trusted Christ, if you're putting on a show, then be warned. Be warned. You do not have the life of God flowing through you. You do not have eternal life. You do not have true, lasting, meaningful fruit. And what does Jesus say the Father does? He takes them away. And this corresponds to verse 6. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. That is strong, scary language. And that is what Jesus said will happen to the pretender, the one who's not actually in him, the one who hasn't actually trusted Christ for salvation, but as a pretender. They will be exposed, they will be removed, and God help them, they may even die in that state and be judged. But that doesn't have to be the case. It doesn't have to be that way. You can be in the vine. You can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can know the Father as your Heavenly Father. You can have a fruitful and effective life here on this earth. Amen? Man, that is the good news. This is an invitation. It's a warning, but it's an invitation. And when you receive the invitation, it's a promise and a guarantee that you will have eternal life and you will have a fruitful and productive life because God is in control of that. The vine dresser is working faithfully, consistently, committedly to you. He is more committedly. I don't know if that's a word or not. Anyways, God is more concerned with our fruitfulness than we even are. I mean, think about that. God is more concerned with your fruitfulness than you are. Now, I don't know about you, but I think a lot about my fruitfulness. I want to be fruitful. But God is even more concerned about it than I am. He's committed to it. And so if you don't know Jesus, call upon His name. Trust Him. Abide in the vine. He is the vine. We are the branches. Look at verse 4. i got to move really fast. Really fast. Jesus alone is the source of our fruitfulness. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's the source. He's the only source. He's the only source. 
And so we must abide in Him. Are you in the vine? Are you in the vine? Ask yourself, have you confessed Christ as your Savior? Have you trusted Him for salvation? Are you attempting to walk alongside other Christians and be plugged into the church? Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you reading His Word? Are you praying? Are you worshiping? Are you obeying? Are you connected to the vine? You must be. You must be. We have a responsibility to do our own part. Well, I'm going to stop here. I was planning on covering a lot more verses. It's an awkward place to close. Um, Sorry. I didn't want to close with the hellfire part. Um, Maybe that's not a bad thing. I don't know. Maybe that's not a bad note to leave on. But uh, I had so much more I wanted to say, and we just didn't make it there today. But we will uh, look at it next week. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We are so grateful for your kindness and your love. Thank you that you're committed to us. Thank you that you are invested in our fruitfulness. You have spared no expense. You have given your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to die in our place. And he was raised again into the newness of life, that in him we may also die and rise again into the newness of life. That we would have that same power that raised Jesus from the dead working in us by the Holy Spirit. That we, as those who are in the vine, would produce fruit, spiritual fruit, meaningful, eternal, pleasing fruit for you, Father. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.